Kids and youth are now dismissed. Kids can go this way, youth can go that way, and Mr. James will be there for you. Good morning, everyone. If you are a guest here, my name is Bree Thompson, and I get to serve as pastor of youth and young adult ministries here at HBIC. Our senior pastor is Hank Johnson, and we would all love to meet you if you are new, so please come and find us later if we haven't met you yet. Give me one moment, I need to make a note. Okay. So this is our first Sunday in Advent. Um, today our theme is hope, and I know that the season of Advent and Christmas can be a mixed bag um, for all of us here. Some of us, Advent is just a delight. Um, you can't slow the time down enough for us. Uh, we like to relish in all the moments of Advent and Christmas. And then for others of us, um, it's a reminder of the heaviness of life, of the people that aren't with us to share the season, um, maybe due to death, broken relationships, hardships, and this season is just very, very difficult. Um, today, as we look into the message of Christ's hope, um, my prayer is that this hope we know on paper is true for us today, um, no matter what state we find ourselves in. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. We thank you so much for the hope that you have for us, a future hope, but a hope for today. Lord, we thank you. May your blessings be on the reading of your word, and may your Holy Spirit be at work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we are going to look at Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. So if you have your Bible with you, um, you can open up there. We're also going to project it. You can follow along there. Mark 13, 24 through 37. But in those days, following the, the distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Um, when I read this, in the beginning portion particularly, um, my response is often like, whoa, this is feeling a little overwhelming. 
um, what all is going on here, when is this happening, what's the setting, what's the context of it. Um, we've got imagery of cosmic upheaval, predictions of judgment, and this all grabs our attention. Um, but we do know that not even Jesus knows the time of, of when things are to happen. So that assures us that we don't have to spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out quite what those logistics are. Um, with this scripture, um, we're going to try to get at the heart of what Jesus was actually trying to say and communicate to his disciples. I wanna give you a quick overview of where we're going for our sermon. Sometimes it's helpful to wrap your brain around that. So we're gonna start um, looking at this, our morning's gospel reading. And then we're going to look into some of the grief and discouragement that we carry, some of those spaces we find ourselves feeling pretty far from hope. Then we're gonna to turn to the Old Testament and look at covenant relationship. Um, and then we're gonna hear what hope has to offer us in the future, but also for now. And then we'll end with some practical steps of what does it look like to walk in hope for today. So back to our, our scripture in Mark, Jesus is offering practical wisdom uh, for living as disciples in a world that is coming apart. It's about how we are to live as we await the return of the Son of Man. Um, we find ourselves waiting now in anticipation of our Savior in the season of Advent. Uh, something of note for our passage today is it's framed by two women. If we look before and after our reading today, um, before our passage in Mark 12 is the story of the widow's offering. The scripture there says she put in everything, all she had to live on, and that was to the cause of the temple. And then following our passage in Mark 14 is the story of the woman who anoints Jesus. She gives an expensive gift to Jesus on his way to death. So the passages before and after our text, the temple's highlighted and then Jesus is highlighted. Both are headed for destruction, but then Jesus will be raised from the dead as God's true temple. So from our passage, Jesus is conveying that the destruction of the temple that he's speaking about in the first portion isn't the end of the world, nor are the tribulations that follow. So in verses 28 to 31, it's talking about, the, again, the coming destruction of the temple. Um, before our passage, the disciples asked Jesus, they're sitting on the hill of Gethsemane, and they're looking at the massive temple buildings, and they say, wow, look at these stone upon stone. Isn't it amazing and incredible? Um, so Jesus responds to that and talks about what is coming. But then he moves in verses 32 to 37, and his concern is the behavior of the disciples before the Son of Man returns. So Jesus knows he's about to leave his disciples, and he's presenting them with sober-minded, practical wisdom for living between the destruction of the temple and then the return of the Son of Man. So how it is to live in that time of waiting. Jesus' concerns here are pastoral, um, not primarily what feels like ap apocalyptic. So the point here isn't to be fascinated about and wrapped up in what will happen, um, but what are we to be doing in this time? So even if we don't understand fully what Jesus is referring to, um, you know, Jesus instructs us what we should be doing uh, as we wait. So an, a key is verse 34, Jesus says, 
It's like a man going away, and he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. Um, we sit there with that place. Um, we are his servants, and we have our assigned tasks. And Jesus says, therefore, keep watch. We want to be alert. We want to be ready. Do not let him find you sleeping. And verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So we are to be about our tasks, not to be complacent. We're to be about our Father's work. Um, N.T. Wright writes about this passage. He says, the little church in the first generation cannot afford to settle down and assimilate itself either to the Jewish or the pagan world. It must constantly remind itself that great events are afoot and that they need to be ready. Um, we, as we wait, want to be living in that hope of Jesus Christ. We want to be ready for that return and living day to day in hope, hope of his coming and hope of his presence and promises offered for us today. Hope through the tasks that he leaves us to be doing as we wait. So a question to look into is how do we live in hope when things are in such disarray, when it feels like so many things are just coming apart? Um, oftentimes, you know, I think we heard in Pastor Carmen's prayer today, uh, the heaviness of what life looks like. Some of us here can relate very much to that. Um, and some of us, uh, it might just feel like kind of repetitiveness, not able to relate to that heaviness. Um, but for a lot of us, being stuck in grief, stuck in brokenness, um, is a reality. Sometimes we or someone we're supporting may be stuck in sin patterns, in hardships that may be financial, relationships, issues and hardships. Um, maybe we've got issue upon issue of child rearing, um, whether it's a biological child, an adoptive child, a foster child. Um, sometimes that can feel so unending. In all of these cha challenges in life, sometimes it's hard to look at and see and live in that hope. Life can be so heavy. Sometimes in that, you can kind of point to sort of logical life reasons and consequences as to why there's the heaviness. Um, maybe if we're working with children from trauma backgrounds, um, you know, you can point to, well, well, that's what we're dealing with, the repercussions of that. And maybe that's only trauma from a mother's womb or trauma of very early life, but there's still incredible impact on emotional health, on literal functions of the brain. Um, some of us are amidst or very near to seeing generational poverty, um, generational sin issues. Life can be hard and we can feel um, very, very stuck. There's other times when there's nothing logical to point to, um, no consequence um, that makes sense, but we just have difficulties. Grief, a loss of a loved one, just discouragement and feeling overwhelmed. Um, back to that death, sometimes loved ones leaving this world, what feels like way too soon. Um, the world is broken, so we have hardship. Um, I want to read a well-known poem and to empathize with and feel what it can be like in times of brokenness, in times when we're stuck. So this poem is talking about a dream, but I'm inserting in that dream, um, well, I'm not going to put it in there, but I'm relating it to hope. 
a hope deferred. So known as a dream deferred, this is actually titled Harlem by Langston Hughes. It's out of his larger book of poems, Montage of a Dream Deferred. And here it is. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? Langston Hughes in his time, he was writing of the continued injustice and wrongs done to African-Americans. Um, we hear in the poem his heaviness and weight of that ongoing struggle. Some of us here can relate to that struggle specifically, or we can just relate to his feelings of struggle, that feeling of festering, of a stink, of exploding, of hope deferred. So sometimes we can sit in places of despair due to our circumstances, to repeat issues, struggles that seem to never end, and it can feel very hopeless. Towards our hope to respond, to sum up who is this hope for that we speak of, who is invited into it, um, I wanna look at covenant relationship found in scripture. Um, we have covenant relationship with our God. When we've received him, we are grafted in and adopted as sons and daughters, and we enter into the new covenant that offers us hope today. And it is that Christ child that we anticipate the arrival of in this season of Advent that ushers in the new covenant for us. And that covenant is unconditional. So is the one we're gonna look at here in the Old Testament. And it's important to know and believe in these pieces in order to remain in hope. So we are going to look in a moment here in 2 Samuel. And this is the Davidic covenant is what it is known as. We're going to break it down a little bit and try to make sense, see how we find ourselves in that covenant, rela covenant relationship there. Um, there are many covenants in the Old Testament. In the context of our story in 2 Samuel, I want to give you a little bit of, a, of what we have beforehand. But our story is where David proposes to build a temple for the Lord. Before our story, though, the people of Israel had been in unrest. David had been on the run. If you remember the story of Absalom trying to dethrone him, uh, the location of the Ark of the Covenant had been moved, and that was for them God's localized presence. Um, it had been moved over and over, and their, the Israelites' leader, David, has not been faithful, not been in faithful relationship with the Lord. Um, the story, a story before this, is of David and Bathsheba. So there David sins in adultery and in murder, and there were consequences for his actions. Um, he first lost the son born of that adultery, but God's punishment was that the sword would never rest from his household, and also someone in his household would sleep with his wives. So we see in that story the sin issues of David getting passed on in his family line. So let's... Look at 2 Samuel 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. If you want to open your Bible to follow along, you can. Um, but let's listen and try to hear the heart of God's response. Um, God's response here is very loaded, and it's a lengthy response compared to other um, responses of God we find in Scripture. Um, so that length signals the importance 
for us of what is said, and it also signals God's concern for David's heart. Um, so we see David's response, God's response to what's happening in David's heart when he makes this proposition. So let's start at verse 1. So after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given, re given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and, will establish the th and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. So knowing the moves that David made with the Ark of the Covenant prior to this account, um, and also afterwards, he recounts his military victors. Well, the, the military victories of David are recounted. Um, we can presume here that David was trying to leverage God in his proposition. Um, David felt the unrest of his people, of himself. He'd been on the move. They'd attempted to dethrone him. Um, David wanted to secure his power by having control over the divinity. So this is something that happened in other cultures at that time, um, in pagan cultures. They would build a temple for the deity in order to have control over that deity. Um, they would sometimes even build it literally attached to their house to have a direct control um, over the deity. So it's a political move. Um, we all here also know, we know David's heart, so we can also know there's some space there to say he was honoring God with it. Um, 
but God responds in stark contrast to the posture of this uh, request. I don't know if you could hear the sarcasm in God's reply. Uh, as if God needed David to build the temple, um, he didn't ask him to, he didn't need him to, um, and God's response further even exemplifies that David's heart wasn't in the right place as he made this proposal. Yet, as off as David's proposition was, God still chooses to meet David and his people in their time of unrest. God brings covenantal promise that doesn't, that didn't depend on them, doesn't depend on them. Um, it didn't depend on their circumstances. David's objectives were misaligned and his heart wasn't fully in the right place. Um, but God says, God responds and says, you won't build me a house, I will build you a house. Um, God does concede and let them, his, David's heir, build the temple, but it wasn't for God. God specifically says it's for my name. So God is even pushing back here saying, um, you don't house me. You don't determine what um, I am doing here. Um, but God responds in giving covenantal relationship in a setting that didn't deserve it, um, that wasn't even well ready to receive him, receive God, but God gave hope of an eternal kingdom. A word that is repeated various times throughout the scripture is a Hebrew word for house. It's called bayit. Um, author Michael Grassani points out, so speaking of what God is promising in this passage, um, the author says there's at least two contextual indicators demonstrating that bayit, that word for house, um, refers to David's dynasty rather than his immediate family or even his lineage. The juxtaposition of house with kingdom suggests that it deals with a royal dynastic line and the presence of forever with reference to these, this house in three different verses and mention of distant future in another suggests a duration that exceeds most family lineages. Um, so we now getting to read 2 Samuel today, we know the history that follows that account. Um, some three or 400 years later, it, you know, it wasn't all blue skies and rainbows for God's people here. Um, they ultimately um, get conquered and go into exile. Um, there's the Jewish diaspora, uh, they're spread out. Um, their life is very, very difficult. They're separated from one another. Their life was hard. Um, they were in horrors, there were horrors to come. Um, actually, the writing of the canon was a desperate attempt to have identity and culture when they were dispersed um, and all over uh, that Roman world at the time. Um, so point being, you know, in, within that context, God's not necessarily talking about their future safety in terms of their current setting that they're in. They got a time of rest, um, but this was God's covenant that he was giving um, to them. Uh, we can relate to the struggles and the challenges that the Jews had in those times of diaspora. When God brings promise and hope despite what is behind, despite what is now and despite what is ahead. Uh, we can trust in that and live in that. God has a hope for us now. He knows our needs and he invites us into everlasting covenant. 
The Israelites at the time of our, our story here were filled with anxiety over their state, and God met them there. So we talked about logical consequences. Um, you see that within God's covenant also. In verse 14, he says, um, speaking of Solomon, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. So again, we see today how logical consequences can happen. Um, sometimes due to sin, sometimes generational issues, um, cycles. Um, and in those spaces, it's so hard sometimes to find hope. God was disappointed in David in this context, but he kept relationship. God still loves, loved David. Um, Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. And God, again, offers covenantal relationship and the line preserved. And this, this is a continuation of earlier covenants seen in the Old Testament. And it's through these covenants that God ultimately secures the promises of land, descendants, and blessings. Um, and this covenant becomes the basis for a hope in the Messiah. Our God is a God of new life, of transformation, of healing, I believe he can break through cycles of struggle. Our God is of a God of miracles. But sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes it's a no, no to getting out of consequences, to breaking cycles. Uh, we don't know why. So often our struggles and discouragement and being in hope um, isn't due to something or someone else we've done. It's because we're in a broken world. So there's no reason. There's horrors. Um, received and lived in, and they just don't make sense. But, and God meets us there. In the difficulty of the struggle, he offers hope, hope for a future, hope for a today, because he's with us. He offers us his presence, living in him, his peace, his comfort, his purpose. Um, and we talk about this hope and I think a lot of us can say that, yes, I acknowledge and believe there is a hope in my head and on paper, but in terms of living day in and day out, I don't know that I'm living in that hope. So I want to offer some practical thoughts and suggestions of how do we live in the hope of the promise that we know is true? Um, how do we do that on the day to day? So I have four thoughts towards that. Um, the first one is looking for and knowing God's care and difficulty acknowledging areas that are hope-filled. So even through times that's hard to see hope, can we see where God's presence is? Can we point to those glimmers of hope? So I want to give you a few stories of people finding glimmers of hope through difficulty. The first is through a book called Fall or Fly, The Strangely Hopeful Stories of Foster Care and Adoption in Appalachia. So the author here says, he says, see, I think readers might fall into the trap where they, where they expect the heavens to open and a rainbow to shine down or something. That's not what this job is and that's not parenting. It's a whole lot of daily grind with enough stardust and rejoicing to keep you going back for more. Think about your childhood memories. Sure, there's some big things in there, but think about all the little things that made your childhood happy. You're the product of all those little moments, and these kids, when they finally get some of those, that's a moment we celebrate. 
you get what I'm saying, stop expecting the angels to sing. Be happy, this kid is happy because he's got a plastic pumpkin, pumpkin chock full of candy and he's with a bunch of kids his own age just being a kid. That's childhood, that's winning. It's a story from foster care. I heard a, another story recently about a man who lost his mother and she was his person in all the ways. Um, he would go to her for support, for encouragement, uh, for laughter. Um, she was his person and he lost her. And there was a great hole left in his life at her passing. But he tells the story of accidentally calling his mother-in-law mom. And he was totally taken aback by it, wondering if anyone else noticed. He took time to process it. And he realized that, yes, his mother-in-law was filling some of those relational pieces that he had been without. Um, his heart had been able to heal some, and there was space for growth and more relationship with others. A glimpse of hope um, for a parent, maybe a child struggling with simple growth pieces, um, parents being consistent, yet not seeing growth, not seeing change, um, with some basic parent teachings maybe feeling frustrated, frustrated. Um, sometimes we can even see a lack of an emotional cognitive development, so speaking more towards like a foster care type setting, um, that may be what you see. There was a per particular day, um, an event happened, um, this is a story from my life, um, an event happened and there was all the talk about the infraction, you know, had, had the parent talk of, hey, what happened, et cetera. Um, but really feeling there like there was no connection, no emotional connection to the wrong done. Um, but six hours later, the child came back and gave me a heartfelt apology. So that's a glimmer of hope, a sign of an emotional connection to a wrong done, something that's often not there. Um, that is a flicker of light. A hope today for our young people um, young people here who are here, you may not, you may or may not know this. Oftentimes the older generation is so much like, oh, these young people these days. <laughs> I don't know how aware young people are that that is the state, but that is often um, a perspective of young people. Um, older generations can get worried about our younger generation. Um, Sometimes older generations can feel burdened by the state of our young people. Um, we continue to lose young people from the church as they graduate high school, um, choose to not come back, go away to college, choose to not come back. Um, older people are often also burdened by the state of anxiety by our younger generation um, and feel at a loss of how, how can we help, how can we support. Um, but there is wonderful hope found in this generation, the future of our church. Uh, one trait gen identified of Gen Z is adaptability. So that's also referred to as resilience, perseverance, or grit. And it is a young person's ability, their ability to accomplish particular goals or tasks in the face of challenges and ambiguity. Here is a story from the book, Faith Beyond Youth Group. Um, about a Gen Zer. So as the oldest of four girls, 15-year-old Sylvia embodied many typical firstborn traits. She was responsible, hardworking, and consistently prioritized what was best for her three younger sisters. All that was put to the test when the girl's mom fell sick 
with an aggressive cancer and passed away, uh, leaving the four girls with no choice but to move in with their dad, who had been emotionally distant from the girls their entire lives. Given the absence of support and guidance from her dad, Sylvia could have shifted into survival mode and prioritized what was best for her. Or on the other extreme, she could have placed her sister's needs ahead of her own to the point that she lost herself. So while only a high school sophomore, she adapted and found the right middle ground in which she focused more on her own studies and extracurricular activities during the week and more on her sisters during the weekend. It was a full and sometimes exhausting last few years of high school, but Sylvia graduated with both a full scholarship to a prestigious school and the relationships she desired with her sisters. I am excited about what our younger generations are offering and will offer to the world, their adaptability. Um, they also have a desire to serve and a desire to pursue their own faith. I recently read a statistic that Gen Z has more of a heart for evangelism than millennials. Um, they want to share what it is that they believe. They have an energy that can energize all of us. Kara Powell, uh, author of Growing Young, and I says, and I emanate this, teachers, teenagers, and young adults, your creativity and authenticity bring lifeblood to the journey. Let's be honest, the whole rafting journey, doing church together, doing life in Christ together, would be downright boring without you. More than this, you take up the oars and keep the raft moving forward. Without you, the raft would flip over. You are remarkable. You are maids in God, made in God's image and have unique passions, gifts, and talents, all of which are waiting to be unlocked and explored through your local congregations and wherever God calls you. There is a beautiful hope in the coming generation, our future of our church. So I hope that you can find glimmers of hope um, through all the different spaces of life that you find yourself in. A second practice to help us to walk and live in hope is to stay in God's word. Um, I think we probably say a lot, but to be immersed in God's care for us, his promises, his truths for our lives. Um, it's so important because the messages of the world are so, there are so many. Um, the media uh, from non-Christian sources we can nod our heads on a Sunday about the truths and what we believe, but the weeks are full, full of our phones, our emails, our media, our shows, full and overwhelming. Um, the Bible tells us we need to intentionally protect our hearts, and we have to be intentional in walking with the Lord. Um, it's not going to happen accidentally. Uh, the world's messages are so strong and prevalent, so let's press into abiding with our Savior see the ways that he's already with you and press into knowing more of his presence through his word um, and knowing him more. A third practical step to living in hope is walking in communal hope um, with one another. We are made to be in community, to rejoice together, to carry burdens together, to grow together, to disciple one another, and to be in hope together. So hopefully you're finding ways to connect with other believers, um, to walk with them. We've been talking about that here at HBIC in various ways in recent months and years. Um, if you're here today and you're not sure how to connect um, more intentionally here outside of a Sunday morning, please kind 
um, please come and find a pastor and we can help you find those connection points. Journeying Together also has uh, lots of ideas of ways that you can um, connect um, in, in smaller settings. So in this season of Advent, I, we specifically want to invite you to join with others for your Advent practices. Um, I'm, I'm assuming some of us are already started in some, but we do invite you into some communal ones. And we have two here at HBIC that we invite you to join. Um, the first one, there was a link for it in Journeying Together. Um, it's called the Ruach Arts Advent Devotions. Um, this is a free Advent daily devotion that was written and curated to help bring art and beauty into your spiritual practice. Every day of Advent, you get a short devotion in your email inbox that includes a scripture, a reflection, and some form of art or creative expression that connects with the theme of that day. Um, so that's something that a lot of people here at HBIC will be doing. Um, you can touch base with each other and respond, um, you know, kind of share your thoughts on that. Um, can we, do we have a QR code for that? Maybe? Nope, the other one, sorry. So, yeah, if you wanted that, so again, it's in Journeying Together, but if you're interested in that art-themed advent, there's a QR code there. Um, we'll leave that up for a minute, and I'll tell you the other one we'd like to invite you to join if you haven't. A lot of young adults are doing this, but anyone is welcome. Um, the author of The Common Rule, Justin Whitmill Early, has an advent edition. Um, We've talked about that book, The Common Rule, in various spaces here at HBIC over the past year. Um, but the Advent edition specifically invites you into four daily practices for the season of Advent and also has readings per day. So the four habits that if you want to join in this and do it communally with us are, number one, kneeling prayer three times a day. And the Advent um, program you can find online has specific prayers for each of those kneeling prayers. Um, the second practice is to light a candle and say Christ is light with the lighting of that candle. Third practice is scripture before phone every day. Justin Whitmill early is really about disrupting our routines, um, our routines that normally get our brains going in directions away from God. And the fourth practice is no phone while waiting. So whether at a red light, um, while your child is tying a shoe, while you're waiting for others to join the conference call, um, be intentional about using that space to relearn and practice waiting, anticipating. Um, we're not good at waiting. Um, so again, and that has readings uh, for each uh, day as well. So there was a QR code with that if you're interested in that. There's also a QR code by the coffee station for that one if you want to get it later too. So whichever way, or maybe you already have an Advent something you're doing with a group of people, um, but we encourage you to walk through Advent in community. Um, a fourth way, um, I invite us to live in hope in our day-to-day, -day, and I think it's a very crucial one to making our hope that's in our heads be our hope that's in our heart, and that is sharing our hope. Um, what are the ways that we are being a beacon of hope for others? How are we sharing that message of hope? If it truly is our hope, shouldn't it be bursting out of us, overflowing into the lives of others? 
Um, and some people may have a posture that there isn't space for evangelism here in the United States. Everyone already has their beliefs. They have a very private faith, um, and there isn't space for evangelism, and that's not true. Um, God is doing a new thing. You know, we see in different, many places of scripture, the Holy Spirit's at work even when uh, someone to tell about Jesus has yet to come. So we are to seek God's guidance. Where is he already doing a work in our neighbor's lives, our colleagues' lives? And how can we be ministers of sharing the hope of Jesus in all of those spaces? Um, let us intentionally seek God's direction. Um, I know a lot of us have heard of prayer walks. Are we walking through our neighborhoods and praying? Say, God, what is the need here? Where are you working? Where can I meet you with what you're doing? Um, can we do that in our work settings, praying and asking for ways to share our hope? Maybe over our kids' soccer team, the coaches and the parents that we interact with, how can we share hope in that space? God is at work. Uh, let's join him. And again, I very strongly believe that sharing a hope is a huge piece of letting that hope be true for us, no matter what our setting is. Um, let's live in that hope. Let's share that hope with the world around us. So as we welcome the worship team for our closing song, um, I have a couple, two things here. We want to invite everyone, anyone up for prayer. The pastors in the room, if you'll come forward, we are going to um, pray for you. We also, though, so this is uh, unique this morning, um, there will be someone in the prayer room to pray for you. So if you would like a different setting, um, the prayer room is there. There's a little yellow sign over top of it. We invite you to go there for prayer. Um, and before we do this last song, if you missed our call to worship today, um, part of that is um, you'll see little ornaments on the table there. The prompt from the call to worship was for you to choose a word to reflect on during Advent, something that reminds you that God is still active in the world and Jesus will come again. So if you missed the chance in the call to worship during this song, you can come up, write a word down, and then you can decorate our trees with that. So we invite you to come and do that and let's join in our closing song. I invite you to stand and join us. Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, oh, of all the earth thou art, dear desire.
salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. As we usher in the season of anticipating our Savior, let's do it together. Let's sit in hope. Let's see the hope around us, and let's offer hope to all we see and encounter. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us tasks and we get to be a part of what you're doing in this time of waiting. We thank you for the hope of our salvation. We thank you that it's not dependent on us. We thank you that we can look forward to our hope, but you also meet us exactly where we are and you have hope for us today. Help us to know it more. We love you. We thank you. Bless us as we welcome this season of anticipating the birth of our Savior. And we, may we step into and live in the hope of Jesus Christ today. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you. 